Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. not my impersonation of Joel Gertner. But guess what time it is this week, folks? Today is Saturday, November 20th. Thanksgiving's right around the corner. So let me take a moment here just to wish everybody listening a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope I'll do another show before Thanksgiving. Uh, I've got a couple of couple of things I have to do before uh, out-of-town trips. So I'll try to squeeze another one in. You know, I'm wanting to get to 100 episodes by the end of the year. Um, we're getting dangerously close. So thanks again for everybody for sticking around. So this episode today is going to be a little bit different than what uh, what I'm used to. Um, occasionally, you know, I go off on a little rant about you know something sometimes political, economic, and then but you know we talk about mostly you know fun things, cultural things, conspiracies, um, whatever, whatever hits uh, you know whatever floats our boat here at the show. But this week, guess who riled up a few people and pissed off some folks on Twitter? Yeah, you guessed it, which is not unusual for me. You know, I am I do have my opinions on things. I don't normally shout all that out on social media, but I will on Twitter because Twitter, like I've said, is like the wild west of, uh, I don't want to say free speech because you certainly get censored or, I you know, for whatever reason, I guess... Uh, Shadow ban is that the word for it? But it's it's the wild west of social media. So let's just put it that way. Um, it's the kind of place you can tell people have a great day. Five people you don't even know will say something bad about your mother. That's Twitter. Uh, if you have an opinion, it doesn't matter what it is. Someone will take the opposite view and insult you for your point of view. And uh, you know we we live in a culture, and I've kind of talked about this before, where. Unfortunately, if, if there's a there's a segment of people out there that if you don't believe and think just like them, the group think, then you're an enemy. And I often refer to those people as cultural communists. Now, that's the people on the far left because, you know, to them the ends justify the means. They want to see a certain kind of justice. For example, in this Kyle Rittenhouse case, so in order to get their brand of justice, whether it's right or wrong. They assemble outside the courthouse and shout threatening things uh, so the jurors on the inside will hear. You know, if you don't vote the way we tell you to, we're going to find you and kill you. We're going to burn your house down. You know, whatever. Uh, these people are bad people. All right, I've said that before. Well, I opined on that topic on Twitter. And then uh, I guess another topic came up where people were talking about Liz Cheney, the representative from Wyoming. And I've referred to her as a rhino in the past. And rhino stands for Republican in name only, for those who don't follow politics. Um, so I've referred to her as that. I got some pushback from some people on the left uh, who, why they're involved in Republican politics, I don't know. But why do you call her that? Why do you call her a rhino? Well, she votes with Trump most of the time. You're only calling her a rhino because... Um, she doesn't get along with Trump or didn't agree with Trump on the January 6th thing. Well, it's not entirely true. And I told people on, you know, I got, I'm not going to argue with people on Twitter. I'm, I don't have the time to waste, but I said, you know, what? I'll bring the topic up on the next podcast. So I wanted to address that a little bit about 
Liz Cheney and why what what makes a Republican in name only. Okay, um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But then I also made a comment about gas prices and inflation. And then somebody chimes in. Actually, I blamed the Biden administration for a good deal of this. And somebody comes back. Well, what are you like? Everybody's an expert on here. Were you an economist? You know, you do know that the president has no control over causing inflation, right? Well, that's right to a degree, but it's not entirely right. And I'm going to kind of, those of you who listen and don't really know my life outside of the show, uh, let me give you a little nugget here. <laughs> I am an economist. I'm going to claim it because, you know, I went to graduate school. I went to uh, undergrad and got my degree in economics through the University of Virginia's College at Wise minored in political science, and then I went on to graduate school where I studied international economics. So those people who were saying, you don't understand what inflation is, you don't know this, you don't know that, what do you think, you're an economist? Yeah, wise-ass, I kind of am. <laughs> um, what, what are you? And I'm not saying anybody else who has an opinion is uneducated. Um, people have to make their own decisions. To me, economics is nothing more than a complicated way of explaining common sense. And I always viewed it that way, which is why that study of economics was never that difficult for me. You know, you broke it up into two segments. Microeconomics, which is the study of, you know, down to the, you know, the bare roots of how a company would manage itself and the economic factors and the, and the financial factors that go into play. And then macroeconomics, which is, you know, kind of the bigger picture of the government central banks and how those things impact the overall economy too. And so I wanted to kind of break it down a little bit more as to what causes inflation and why I blamed it on the Biden administration. And you, there's more people than just Joe Biden you can lay this at the feet at, but um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And it's, I don't know, maybe it, it, it'll be informative, if, you know, but it's kind of like economics 101. It'll be informative. But I'm just going to give it to you in layman's terms. I'm not going to kind of get too, too into the woods on it. But I wanted to kind of go over those two topics today. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about Gene Simmons from KISS. And why that guy is my asshole of the week. So anyway, let's jump into this, shall we? Let's first talk about Liz Cheney. Uh, Liz Cheney, which is um, the daughter of Dick Cheney, former Vice President Dick Cheney. And he was, was he Secretary of Defense at one point? No, it was Rumsfeld. Um, anyway, Dick Cheney, uh, who might be a dark lord of the Sith, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's his daughter, Liz Cheney. And they, Wyoming is not a very big state. It has a lot of land mass, but they only have one representative in the, in the U.S. House of Representatives. So she was actually censored by her state party for her impeachment vote on Trump. Now, the first impeachment, she did not vote to impeach him. The second time around, uh, this was after the January 6th, she did vote to impeach. Uh, so in November this year, probably maybe a week or two ago, she was actually ousted from the state party. Uh, it was actually a pretty close vote. Um, the media actually got the number wrong. I actually reached out to someone on the ground there uh, before I did the show to ask what the um, what the vote was. It was actually thirty two to twenty nine. Uh, the uh, those who were in the state party, uh, so it was very close. So they basically kicked her out of the party. Um, and uh, so because of that, um, well, not because of that, but the national GOP and the House of Representatives. They stripped her, uh, her from her post as a GOP conference chair, and it should be noted that she's actually been rebuked by her party many times. And at one point, um, when it comes to the January sixth committee, and uh, I guess investigating what goes on there, this was all mostly it was all Democrats. They didn't really invite any Republicans, Republicans except one, and that was you guessed it, Liz Cheney, to be on the. Uh, on the committee, she said she proudly pledged her allegiance now to Nancy Pelosi. Wow, okay, uh, that doesn't sound very Republican-like, but let's just take a look at her. 
let's uh, break down a little bit about her. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I don't like about her. Um, I'm going to refer to an ABC News article. This just came out uh, November 16th. You can find it online. Uh, and it says here, this is from uh, uh, Jonathan Carl interviews Representative Liz Cheney on this week. All right. So it says here, um, in its second formal rebuke of Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney, the state party passed a resolution this week to no longer recognize her as a member. But Cheney, of re-election in 2022, appears unconcerned. Now, if anybody can win a write-in vote, it would be Liz Cheney. So she's going to probably, she'll get on the ballot. She won't have to do a write-in, but she may do it as an independent. And she, she it's going to be a tough haul to, to unseat her. Um, it says here, uh, this is a quote, it's laughable to suggest Liz is anything but a committed conservative Republican, said Jeremy Adler, Cheney's spokesperson. She is bound by her oath to the Constitution. Sadly, a portion of the Wyoming GOP leadership has abandoned that fundamental principle and instead allowed themselves to be held hostages held hostage to the lies of a dangerous and irrational man, referring to Trump. Um, the Casper Star Tribune reported on the document which paints Cheney as having caused massive disruption, distraction, and division within the House Republican Conference as having proudly pledged allegiance to Democrat Speaker of the House Pelosi as a means of serving her own personal interests while ignoring the interests, needs, and expectations of Wyoming Republicans. It's not the first time Cheney, uh, who serves as vice chair of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on, on the Capitol, has been rebuked by her own party as the Congresswoman continues to voice opposition to former President Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, and she goes on to say, I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermining our democracy. And she said that on the House floor the eve of the ousting. Um, so, uh, her voting record, actually, as I'm scrolling through this, there's actually some Maybe it wasn't in this article. Let me let me go pull up another article here. I have these uh, lined up to go. Um, her voting record with Donald Trump was actually like ninety three percent, which was pretty astounding, right? Uh, but this isn't from an article called "What Wyoming Really Thinks of Liz Cheney." So if she's voting ninety three percent with Trump policies, how is she a rhino? That's a good question. Let me go ahead and read this. This is by uh, David Montgomery in the Washington Post, and this was actually published on spokesman.com. In Wyoming, even Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid want to give Liz Cheney the boot. On a recent, e on a recent evening, they're out uh, committing mayhem down in downtown Cody as part of a tourist attraction. The Wild Bunch Gunfight Show. The gunfighters play cards, drink whiskey, rob a bank, and take on the wall. The script of their show is tuned to the political pitch of the Cowboy State, where 70% of voters chose to reelect Donald Trump, making it the Trumpiest state in the nation. Yeah, keep in mind, this is the most conservative state in the entire country we're talking about, Wyoming. Okay. Um, anyway, it says here, afterwards... Still in his Butch Cassidy costume, Bob Ferguson is relaxing on the porch of the Irma Hotel, a frontier landmark founded by Buffalo Bill Cody. Interesting, I'd kind of like to stay at that place one day. Um, I asked him about Cheney, who's 55, the elder daughter of the former president, Dick Cheney, and Wyoming's lone representative to Congress. She's been locked in a high-stakes political gunfight with Trump ever since she voted to impeach him for his role in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. It's kind of like a line in the sand was drawn, says Ferguson, who voted for Cheney in 2020, but now sounds viscerally offended by her. She hasn't just turned on Donald Trump, she's turned on Trump's supporters. She has insulted the constituents of a very conservative state, called us insurrectionists. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul Lanchberry, 
uh, who plays Sundance, saunters over, spurs jangling. She's a puppet, he practically spits. Hell, she wants to be president. Well, Cheney hasn't really uh, made a secret of that. She's, she's actually considering running for other office. Uh, 2024, she's considering president already. She said so. Um, anyway, since entering the House in 2017, Cheney has never had a closed primary or general election. She was embraced by the Republican establishment in Washington, D.C., and quickly rose to number three in the position of leadership in the GOP caucus, giving Wyoming outsized clout for such a small population. She was reelected in November with nearly 69% of the vote. That's pretty huge. I think Trump got something like 72, 73. So she got a little less than Trump. So some people down ballot didn't like her anyway. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. And, and, you know, we all know the January 6th uh incident and and um i wanted to kind of back up to this one part in the article she was embraced by the republican establishment in washington dc and quickly rose to the number three position of leadership in the gop caucus why would somebody who's newly elected get that high up in the republican party with that much clout and power without having been there six eight ten years which it's typical um, to kind of build their base and their power structure amongst the party if her name wasn't Cheney. All right, that's, this is where I want to back up and talk Rhino. Because the Republican Party has changed a good bit. You have two wings. And here in Virginia, we're no stranger to every Republican running for office at the state level. Well, the, the big three state offices, governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. Those people who get the nomination are always what you call party establishment. There's never any blue-collar, grassroots guy, and they may claim they are. Um, we, just, we just had an election here where Glenn Youngkin uh, beat Terry McAuliffe for the governorship. Well, Terry McAuliffe was not a very good governor the first time around. And all that's going on in the country right now, the backlash against bad policy policy from Washington, uh, certainly helped Youngkin to win because it was an uphill climb to begin with. Um, so he had to literally peel away Democrat voters. And he did. Um, but Glenn Youngkin, I would not call a conservative. They all run as conservatives. Let's, let's face that. Bill Clinton in the 90s when he ran, he ran talking like a conservative on most issues. Maybe not necessarily on social issues, but when it comes to uh, economic and even some social issues, yeah, he, he sounded more of a conservative, which is why he won overwhelmingly over George Bush. And the recession at the time had a little something to do with it, but that recession was not a horrible recession like we saw during the Great Recession period, or even after 9-11. So, it you know, begs to uh, question how Cheney came to such power if she wasn't part of the power structure to begin with. Okay, so anytime I hear establishment, I think Rhino, Republican in name only. Because the party has changed to the point where it's more, yeah, it's very small government, and it's thinking, but it's also very populist, and and the party itself is more ground, you know, grassroots. People are paying attention more to local politics now, especially people that are Republican. And most people, I would wager, I guess, probably are Republican, and just don't declare a party. Like a lot of independents sort of swing right of center, you know. So if you wanted to put them in one camp or another, to me, I'd really, you know, I, I think probably character matters a whole lot more than people give it credit for. Uh, and you have some bad characters on both sides. So I'm, I'm, I'm like an equal opportunity, you know, not to, you know, either side to me. There's a lot of corruption going either way. So anyway, uh, a lot of people felt really offended on the ground there in Wyoming, as it turns out, because of her views on on the, on the January 6th. So which leads me to an email that I sent to, actually I sent an email to one of the candidates who's vying for um, that seat, the nomination for the Republican Party. And I said, um, 
I just I just asked a question. I said, listen, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to read this just verbatim. And I sent it to Marissa Selvig. And she's one of three candidates running. She's in third place um, out of the three. Uh, Trump already threw his support to another candidate. Uh, it says, I'm going to do an upcoming podcast about Liz Cheney in Wyoming. From the boots on the ground, why did the GOP kick her out of the party? She's called a rhino, even though she voted with Trump most of the time. So what is the GOP beef with her out there? I have my own opinions, but I wouldn't be doing my research without asking you, a person running in Wyoming. And uh, she said the vote, the vote was pretty close, actually, 32 to 29. The media had reported it incorrectly. They were vote, uh, reporting at 31-29. I'm fully convinced it's part of a strategy. Many of the state party leadership are trying to send her the strongest message possible that she should not even run here again. They are incensed at her blatant ignoring of their request for her to come and at least talk to them and us and her and about her obsession with Trump on January 6th. I don't blame them. She keeps digging her hole deeper with many people here. Honestly, if she would have just been quiet about all of it, she wouldn't have been in this mess. They call her a rhino because of these issues and ignore everything else she's doing. She comes across as very condescending to her constituents. Here's where Wyoming has more problem, okay? This, she says that she comes across as very condescending to her constituents. Some are calling her, uh, calling her Liz Little Pelosi Cheney. It's remarkable. As for my can okay, so she gets into her campaign. Um, let's see. Then uh, I asked her, I said, did she actually pledge her allegiance to Pelosi? And uh, she said, um, and I asked her for permission to read the emails, and she, she did. So she said she has been tone deaf since she won again in 2020. She never even really campaigned for 2020 except to come here for a debate, and we still voted for her. Shame on us. Her voting record is still mostly party line. I wouldn't necessarily call it conservative. I think many people here consider her pledge of allegiance to Pelosi was an insistence on the January 6th committee and uh, being a part of it. Citizens here think it is an absolute betrayal and hypocritical because of the 2020 summer of looting and rioting and deadly violence with very minimal consequence. It's a whole series of unfortunate choices in her part to put her at odds with so many of her constituents. So basically what she's saying is that Nancy or, uh, Liz Cheney ignored the party and the people in the state saying, please come back here and let's talk about this before you go this route. She's very condescending to them. Basically said anybody that supported Trump was an insurrectionist, and which basically threw every Republican in the state, you know, the majority of them under the bus. And then that's where the split happened. Now, she ran in 2017. Keep in mind, Trump took office in 2016. Trump, when he ran, he ran just as much against Republicans the first time around as he did the Democrats and uh, Hillary Clinton. And... Uh, he was no fan of George Bush, and he made that incredibly clear. Uh, even uh, Jeb Bush could get no traction in the uh, in the primary, uh, and I think it was because of the Bush name. People were sick of Bushes, people were sick of Clintons, and they were looking for something more populist, which is what Trump is. I wouldn't call Trump a conservative. I would call him more of a pragmatist. He runs his mouth a lot, but he did have some good policies. Um, whether you, whether you like it or not, you know. However, the reason I call Cheney a rhino is the same reason I will call somebody like Mitt Romney a rhino. Mitt Romney, for one, will count out of the Democrat Party very easily, and when he was governor of Massachusetts, a lot of his policies were big government policies. Now. Anybody who knows me knows, like, I don't really, you know, tout a party line on anything. I'm more of, like, you know, a libertarian. Like, the smaller the government, the better. Just kind of stay out of people's lives. You know, stay out of the culture. Stop, you know, meddling and mingling so much. Um, the bigger the government gets, the, you know, the less freedom people have. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear. It happens everywhere in the world. Now, some leftists might agree, disagree with that, but these are people that are far left. And there's some Republicans who are big government Republicans, like George Bush, that everyone called a conservative, 
Well, he grew the government bigger than Bill Clinton did. So what the hell's so conservative about that? And, you know, the Bushes and Cheneys are, you know, part of a power structure of the elites and that, and that side of the party that are more of a globalist, have more of a globalist view. And that's why I sort of call Cheney a rhino. She doesn't fit the current mold of the Republican Party with her worldview. In fact, I would argue, you know, this is just my opinion, but I would toss, the, toss this out here that perhaps she ran in Wyoming to just stick around and be a thorn in Trump's side because the families clashed. The Cheneys hated the Trumps, and the Trumps really didn't care much for the Cheneys. And they openly talked about how dumb their decisions and policies were. Well, yeah, she ran, I think, maybe just at a time when Trump needed support the most to kind of stick a thumb in his eye. The same reason why I think Mitt Romney ran for Senate in Utah just to be a pain in Trump's ass. Because they were rivals. It's not because he wanted to represent Utah. I mean, the man claimed to be a conservative, but he's very far from it. In fact, I mean, yeah, he, he'll, he'll vote party line when he has to, but when he, in other instances when he was governor of Massachusetts, just because he, he would probably be considered more of a moderate Democrat over there. Okay, so, you know, there's, there's that to consider. Um, another thing that I kind of took umbrage with, and I'm going to pull up this other article that, you know, you've heard me kind of complain about the Chinese Communist Party. Well, here's an article on, uh, you know, excuse the, uh, it's from Red Voice Media. I mean, you know, some of these media outlets, whether it's mainstream or not, you gotta, you gotta be careful who you trust. But um, it's just, just a, you know, it's just an article called uh, "Rhino Liz Cheney's Husband Works for Chinese Communist Party Linked Law Firm." This is by Gregory Hoyt. And this is actually just written last week, and I'm gonna read just a bit of this. According to reports, Liz Cheney's husband's law firm has a number of Chinese Communist Party-linked clients, including, including companies affiliated to the regime's military, and employs former party members to support its enormous China practice. Wow. I'm not going to name the law firm in this. Um, but they have offices in Shanghai and Beijing. So, yeah, globalists with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong, but I think it's suspect that anybody right now, we're kind of in a growing Cold War with China, should have anything to do with another country, especially people in power, should have anything to do with anybody with relations to the Chinese Communist Party. So, I mean, there's, there's that. Um... Am I shocked? No. I mean, if you look at Swalwell, the guy who was one of the Democrat nominees, he was having an affair with a Chinese spy. And no one stripped him of his uh, uh, power. Pelosi certainly didn't strip him of his power on the uh, the Intel Committee. Um, who was the senator? Was it Feinstein in California, whose uh, personal driver for 20 years was a Chinese spy? Nobody censored her or kicked her off committees. She's very powerful. Um, why? Now, if you're sleeping with the enemy, there should be some repercussions for that, I would think. Not in Washington, D.C., not amongst power players that are uh, more globalist and bent, uh, that are corrupt. And this, this is where I sort of come down on this. So, yeah, rhino for sure. Um, but let's, let's ask ourselves here a little bit. When you look at what happened with her, she got ousted. Was it a shock? No. Um, she got kicked out of her party, but you know, approval rating there sucks. I'm sure. I, I don't know the numbers. She's been challenged by like three in the primary, like I said, but here's the thing. Um, that's not surprising. And this is from an article from Town Hall, and I'm just going to quote this here. Her insufferable go-to talking point about how pissing off the base is all in the name of principle and country of a party has become outright comical. It's not about principle. It's not about the country. 
It's about Democrats liking how you going in front of the cameras to do their dirty work for them. They're using you to shoot inside the ship. You still can't see that, huh? Democrats want to win. Liz Cheney is very much part of the wing of the GOP that's not for that. It's the moral victory-centric folks uh, that's, that's still losing. So at the end of it all, who just offered Liz an endorsement? Occupied Democrats. And this is from Occupied Democrats' Twitter page. President Bush announces his endorsement of January 6th Committee Liz Cheney, Chair Liz Cheney and that he will host a fundraiser for her re-election campaign. Trump endorsed her opponent and is livid that Bush is backing someone who voted to impeach him. That's, that's from Occupy Democrats. And that's probably true. I mean, I'm sure Trump's pissed about it. And he's going to find somebody else to back. But when Democrats start coming to a Republican's defense, most of the time, and when Republicans go to a Democrat's defense, let's just be fair about this on both sides, that's not bipartisanship. A lot of time, that's corruption. Let's, let's, let's face it. Um, yeah, so she's got some things there that I just really didn't trust. And like at that point, when people come out of the woodworks to run for office just because they have an axe to grind against Trump, it tells me that they're not there for the right reason. And I think probably... Wyoming has realized that, and uh, she should realize that, but she's obviously not going to. The party, you know, those guys in the party there, Cheney's and Bush's, they're still powerful, so um, that's, I guess it's up in the air to see where this goes, right? So, all right, next next topic. Let's move, moving right along, moving right along. Man, I've been on that one for like a long time. I'll be, I'll be kind of quick about this one. These people that were calling me out on the inflation saying that this could not, yeah. This is not Biden's fault. A president can't cause it. All right. This is just Economics 101, folks. Two main causes of inflation, right? As prices rise all across the economy. It's an increase in production costs, which you're looking at microeconomics, and surging demand. Right? Those are two, right? Now, that normally just explains the supply and demand theory. Money today is less valuable than money tomorrow, basically is what inflation does. It's really, if you look at it as a tax, it's a tax mostly on the poor who can't afford to pay it. There's two different kinds of um, principles here at work, all right? This, this is where it gets a little technical, so just kind of, I'll just brush over this. There's what's called cost push and demand pull. Like I said, this is just basic Econ 101. Cost push is where uh, the it costs to make the product goes up, all right? So... You, know, you make you make soda, right? Let's just say the bottle the price of the bottles of plastic and oil goes up, right? Plastic's made of oil. Oil goes up. Suddenly, it makes more to produce those bottles that you put the soda in. Well, that runs up part of your production cost, so you have to raise the price of soda. Okay, that's that explains cost push. Demand pull is where demand is really high. You have a limited supply, and uh, you know. Uh, you know, demand for more of the product actually pushes the price of the product up. That's, again, normal supply-demand theory. Then you have another thing that comes into play, which is expansionary fiscal policy. And here's where we have two things that usually take place for expansionary fiscal policy. One, the government lowers taxes. And that puts more money in your pocket. You can go spend more money. You have a little bit more, right? But that also, when you have a little bit more to spend, and you're pushing, you know, you're spending more, demand for more goods go up, and prices go up, you know. Government spending is another example of expansionary fiscal policy. For example, this sham of an infrastructure bill they just passed, it's like a trillion dollars, and I think about less than $200 billion is actually for traditional infrastructure. Um, the rest of that goes somewhere else. That's a trillion dollars flushed into the economy of money that's already like been flushed in over and I'll get into that here in a few minutes. But anyway, uh, another expansionary policy is where the federal reserve has low rates. So right now interest rates are basically zero. If you look at a 10 year treasury, if you want to, the government wants to borrow, they'll sell a 10 year treasury or whatever period of time. Treasury is right now at a 10 year, about one and a half roughly. So more borrowing equals more spending equals a higher demand for goods and services. 
right? Period. The higher the demand for goods and services, the higher the prices. So what's causing the recent inflation? So let's kind of get into that. Let's get out of the Econ 101. One, I would say bad decision-making. All those damn stimulus payments that the government passed. Now, I understand in the middle of the pandemic, people needed stimulus. No one's arguing that. So was that a bad thing to do? No, it needed to be done. However, you have to understand there are consequences for those actions. There was already a finite of a certain amount of money in the economy. People stopped spending. The economy shut down. So to prime the pump, they you know people weren't working. They had to pay their rent. They had to pay their mortgages, whatever. You know, put food on the table. So they had these things had to go out. I get that. So, but there's a consequence of those actions, and a lot of that started happening under Trump. Um, however, here's another thing that that really really bothered me was the huge in, uh, increases in unemployment uh, benefits. There were, if you made, after taxes, $280, 300 400 a week, right? Uh, now, all of a sudden, your unemployment benefits, you're getting $600 a week. Are you going to go back to work until that unemployment runs out? Hell no, because you're going to go back to work and earn less. Right? That's basically what you're telling yourself. So, by paying people more, you... Uh, than what they normally earn, you artificially inflated demand on goods that were already slow to get here because supply chain issues. Kind of tough to get all that stuff out in the middle of a pandemic when you know things are shut down. Um, so that that was another thing that's caused this. So after closing down everything and no spending, now you open everything back up, you have this huge demand coming in. Boom, right? Huge demand coming in, limited supply of goods. Well, yes, inflation. Um, with the supply chain disruptions, you had ships like up to 100 and some sitting off the coast of California. Um, now, California has a policy where if you're not a union trucker, you can't go into some of these ports, these docks, and pick up these things and ship them. Well, that needs to change because you had so many independent truckers that were willing to go out there to increase the shipping across the country. But they weren't allowed in. So bad policy, okay, like I mentioned, bad decision making was part of that problem. And that adds to inflation. So there's a lot of things that go into play that add to this inflation. But we need to be more smart um, and invest into a more modernized supply chain. Now, not by government. I don't want more government money in there. Companies themselves can figure that out. Uh, as let me give you an example. It's already happening because if you look at some of the big box retailers, um, they have actually seen these supply chain issues. They've went and started solving their supply chain, uh, shoring up their supply chain uh, end. And um, they were actually, and when they were reporting earnings this quarter, which has been the last couple of weeks, you know, they've talked about how they got around the supply chain issues to increase, you know, the number of products they have on their shelves to help. That's great. Some companies haven't figured it out. They're the ones that got hurt really bad. And, you know, this, you know, this current, market trend, you know, they their, their stock prices sold off. If they haven't figured out how to uh, correct their supply chain issues by now, then they're getting punished. So this is, there's a lot of onus on the companies themselves to do that, not on government. So anytime you hear about, we need to have this, we need to have that, don't always rush to think the government is the one to do it, because the more government gets involved, the more red tape and regulations in there, the more that drives costs up too. All right, so let's, let's try to let the, the people who can't balance their own checkbook try to fix everything because they can't. Every spending package that we've been passing has been in the trillions. All right, that is a huge, huge problem right now. And uh, yes, I'm going to lay that squarely at the feet of the Joe Biden administration. Here's how Biden's policies uh, are adding to inflation right now. Three major spending bills this year, mostly by debt. All right, 1.9 trillion, which uh, was the bailout of the states with failed policies in the first place. Some people called that a blue state bailout. And technically, you know, it was it was paying off some of these other states. Okay, let's, let's admit that. Um, now, if the Republicans were in charge, they'd have done the same damn thing. All right, so let's, I'm not going to get partisan on this, but um, there's also that $1.2 billion, trillion dollar infrastructure bill that just passed. Then there was the $1 trillion COVID relief bill and that was passed as Trump was on the way out the door, okay? 
So there, there are those things. And uh, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline the first week in office was a huge mistake, I think, for Biden. Now he's going after other pipelines through Michigan and other parts of the country. Why are you going to limit our oil supply and then turn around and beg China to tap into their strategic reserves to kind of stabilize the market and then also beg OPEC for more output? Does it make sense? A year and a half ago, we were energy independent. We didn't need to rely on OPEC or anybody else. Now, because of Biden's bad policies, we do, and we're paying like 50% higher at the pump. Some people in California are paying six and seven bucks. Okay. That is a tax on poor people. People who, who have to go, you barely get by and live paycheck to paycheck trying to get to work, so, suddenly now have to decide okay, do I have to turn my heat down at home? How do I cut out miles and I try to have to get to work? You know, these, these are just bad decisions people have to make. The wrong people get hurt in the process. So there was, um, let's take a look at what some of these other uh, economists are saying. So don't take my word for it. Take, take some others. This is from Forbes magazine. And this was, actually, this was just three days ago by Nicholas uh, Ryman. And this, uh, the headline here is, Nearly half of Democrats blame Biden's policies for inflation, a poll suggests. Uh, Americans fed up with historic inflation are largely putting the blame on President Joe Biden and his administration's policies, according to a morning consult Politico poll released Wednesday, as the rise in consumer prices become a growing political problem for the president and his fellow Democrats. The poll found that 62% of registered voters believe that Biden's policies are at least somewhat responsible for inflation, compared to just 11% who believe the president isn't responsible at all. The numbers aren't much better among Democrats, with 46% of Democratic respondents saying the president is at least somewhat responsible and only 16% believing he holds no responsibility. Among Republicans, 70% believe the president is very responsible, according to polls. Well, so it's back up to independents and Democrats on this. So for those people on Twitter who were trolling me and defending Joe Biden and saying, no, this is not him, this is not him, this is not him, and calling me, you know, basically insinuating I didn't know what I was talking about. If you just take a look at where you stand, your opinion in the poll, you are a very small minority of people who are defending the president's policies. Um, you know, even among Democrats, you're you're one of the 16% of Democrats that believes he holds no responsibility. You're way in the minority, even in your own party. So, and, and that brings me to a point. It's only those people on the fringes on social media that scream the loudest about everything, the most insulting about everything. Uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't talk, they insult. And then they like, well, and they, I kind of got trolled into, well, look down, you know, Japan has the highest inflation now too. They've seen in decades. And how do you explain that? And they're like, first of all, I'm not Japanese. I don't, I'm not an expert on the Japanese economy and I don't freaking live there. But I would say that any time that you have that much money flushed into the economy of any nation, you're going to have issues. Um, and, the, and the supply chain thing is a global issue, so that adds into it. The energy prices are a global issue. That adds into it. So what we do here in America when it comes to our energy supply and how much um, natural gas and oil we export is a big deal. Okay. Because, we, we, I mean, face it, and like when it comes to coal and other, other things that nobody wants to talk about, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, so they try to goad you into like, well, if you can't, you know, well, then explain this and explain this and then explain this. Well, if you can't explain one of them, aha, see, you're an idiot. Well, that's not how the shit works. That's not how real life works, folks. Um, you're, you're, you're very much in the minority with where you're coming from. Um, and most people, according to this poll, voters are overwhelmingly troubled by inflation, according to the poll, with 60% being very concerned. 27% say they are somewhat concerned. All right, so let's take a look at what other economists are saying about this. Now, Larry Summers, I'm not a big, big fan of Larry Summers, but for you know, for the longest time, I can see I've, Larry Summers has been on Bloomberg, Fox Business, CNBC, and like any, he's cited by so many financial and, and business channels and publications, you know, 
However, Larry Summers, who was the chief economist for Clinton and Obama, he even came out and warned that these massive spending bills that Biden was pushing was going to bring terrible inflation. He warned Biden. He warned the party about it, too. And in this in this, uh, this issue of Forbes, this article on Forbes, um, you can see that he and other uh, economists, and I'm not going to get into who they are because I'm, I'm way past time here on this. Um, they are actually, they've actually warned the Democrat Party about doing this. And here's here's the scary thing I found on this um, page, uh, tech startups, 40% of U.S. dollars in existence were printed in the last 12 months. Let that sink in. And now Biden is pushing for a third stimulus before Christmas, a $2 trillion social welfare spending bill. 40% of U.S. dollars in existence right now in circulation were printed in the last 12 months. Now, mind you, they take some out of circulation, older money, but that is huge. This has never been done before. They have pumped so much money. Most of the stuff is debt from these bills um, that, you know, all you have to do is go back and look at history and find out how many times people and company countries have repeated this mistake with their currency. The 1920 uh, Weimar Republic in Germany. Go look it up. I'm not saying that's going to happen here. I'm just saying look it up. Learn your history. Um, you know these. You know these people on the far left. These policies have never worked anywhere. And to actually think that leaning social towards socialism and defending these types of bills, and and it, it's just it's just asinine. Playing with fire and you're going to burn down the house. And sad thing is a lot of people that lean that far left know it and that's what the goal is. Communism is freaking scary. And anytime I see a politician who has a connection, Chinese Communist Party, like, you know, like Cheney's husband. Ugh, ugh, scary, man. Very scary. Anyway, Biden's policy is war on oil. Uh, we now produce 2 million fewer barrels of oil a day than we did this time a year ago. Um, we're begging OPEC to produce more and begging the Chinese to tap into their strategic reserves. There's massive new subsidies for childcare in the, in this bill coming up. This is going to drive up the cost of childcare in the coming year or two. And you're already seeing it to a degree. Now, let me ask you something. Do you really think that's going to help single moms? Who are you trying to help? Are you trying to help the elite who will, you know, walk away making a lot of money in times like this? Um, so all these gains that people made over the last three and a half years, middle class I'm talking about, who actually seen real incomes rising for the first time in like 30 years. They saw real incomes rising, real savings rates beginning to rise you know, comparatively for the first time in 30 years. All it takes is inflation to wipe that out. And now they're back doing worse than they were before because of this inflation. And if you think these massive new subsidies are going to help single moms when it comes to this child care portion, that's just the child care portion of it, that bill. High inflation causes unemployment. And uh, we're, we're probably going to find that out. Um, you know, Jimmy Carter certainly did. So is Biden going to follow in the, the path of Carter and tell you to get out your sweaters and turn down your thermostat so you can save energy at home and hope you don't catch COVID? Is that what's next? Or is it going to be another booster and then another booster and then another booster that the government pays for, but at your expense, at your dime, with debt? No, you have to ask that. So let's get to one last thing here. The Asshole of the Week Award goes to none other than the bass player for my favorite rock and roll band of all time, Gene Simmons. This is where the culture is dangerous and scary, folks. Gene Simmons this week comes out and says, literally says, if somebody doesn't have the vaccine, then they are the enemy. Well, what do you do to an enemy, Gene? Do you kill them? Somebody, somebody doesn't have a vaccine and 
you know, you've already you're already having people put them out of work. Companies put them out of work. Uh, Biden putting on mandates for government employees if they don't get the vax, they're out of a job. Kicking people out of the military with um, threatening uh, to dishonorable discharge for not getting a vaccine. If you're otherwise healthy and you trust your immune system, why would you? You know, I understand people not getting the vax. I'm not anti-vax. I got it, but I got it for very different reasons than some people. Um, I can see how people would say, hey, this thing, they rushed this thing through in a year. We're all guinea pigs. I'm not I'm not a guinea pig. I'm not taking this. I'm going to trust my immune system. I'm going to live healthy. And you call that person an enemy, Gene Simmons. So let me guess. If somebody has got a vaccine, but they've bought every single one of your albums and been to your concerts and paid good money for all that, supported you and made you as rich guy that you are, you're going to be an asshole to that person because they didn't get a shot. Really? Okay. Folks, we got to stop looking at people like they're enemies just because they disagree with us. I know plenty of people that are Republican and Democrat. I disagree with different things. doesn't mean I'm not friends. doesn't mean I'm not cordial. Nobody's a damn enemy. But this is what the extreme end of our culture does to people. This is what mainstream media pushes. If you don't have the vaccine, you're an enemy. Well, if you don't agree with the group think, you're an enemy. You know, if you don't agree with the, the mantra of Black Lives Matter, Antifa, you're an enemy. Stop this nonsense. You're destroying the culture. You're destroying the country, Gene Simmons. That you know, You're a part of that problem now of a country that made, made you everything you are. And I know you're proud of the country. I've, I've read your bio. I bought it. I've, bu I've bought every Kiss album ever. I've seen you guys five times, and I've traveled long distances and spent tons of money to enjoy Kiss and rock and roll. Now, you may not look at me as an enemy, as an enemy because I have a vaccine, but if I'd known now what I knew then, or what I didn't know then, that there was going to be such a push against people that, didn't be, that, that aren't vaccinated, I signed on the side of liberty and freedom personal choice every single time, every single time, over what the mass crowd and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the mob wants. That is not freedom at all. Folks have to make up the decisions for themselves and what's best for them and their families. And I totally get that. Who the hell would I be to call somebody an enemy for disagreeing with me? It's wrong. That would be absolutely ridiculous. Gene Simmons, I love you, man. Love your music. I'm still going to keep buying your stuff. But you are the asshole of the week, brother. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. I hope to be back before Thanksgiving. But if I don't, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. That includes you too, Gene Simmons. You're not my enemy. You may think I'm yours, but you're not mine. Have a great one, everybody. I'll see you on down the road.